This episode of the Shooter's Touch is brought to you by Forged Athletics, your go-to spot for sports-specific trainers and athletes to get connected. Visit Forged Athletics at goforgedathletics.com and start improving your skills today. On this episode of the Shooter's Touch, we bring on Mike O'Connor. Coach O'Connor was the head coach at Dowling Catholic for 15 years, where he had a total record of 214 and 129 with one losing season in that span. We talked to him about that, why he thinks that happened. We also talked to him about the five state tournaments he made it to, as well as many, many other things. It was a great, insightful conversation with Coach O'Connor. You can tell he really knows what he's talking about. You can tell he's very, very passionate about the game, which are the best conversations. We also ask him what his favorite pizza joint in the metro is, and I think this answer will surprise you. The guy knows his pizza. So enjoy this episode. Here is Mike O'Connor. I was getting I'm getting a lot of no letters. And I kept some of the letters because it was like motivation for me. I was young in my coaching career. I did know that those guys I was coaching, this was their one opportunity. If you really want the players to like you, just make them better. If I want to keep playing this game, you know, as a job, I, I have to continue to get better at that. You have to figure out a way to carve out some value that you have that you can bring not only to your team, but also your profession. It's really good information, and I pick up little nuggets all the time. For me, it's all about confidence, man. You have to have confidence to be a shooter, to be uh, a basketball player in general, and to have success. It's all about confidence. If they walk a mile in my shoes, then they can ball like I do, but my game different, not the same with it. I travel now, y'all just change, pivot. Well, as mentioned, shooters, here he is, Coach Mike O'Connor. Welcome, Coach. Hey, guys. How are you? Thanks for having me on. It's great to be here with you. Yeah, we're excited to have you. A big fan of what you've been able to do. And uh, surprisingly, actually, so now the the third Maroon um, that we've had on the podcast um, probably should have been the first one, going back <laughs> through some of the stuff. But uh, needless to say, we're we're glad you're here. We're excited to have you, and we appreciate you taking some time. Well, I'm I'm thrilled, and I don't care where I'm at in the lineup. I'm <laughs> sure whoever else you had was really, really good, and, and I'm sure your your uh, audience got a lot from them. Yep. Yeah. It might be the uh, it might be the top um, I guess school that we've actually pulled from. So um, <laughs> yeah. just trying to get God on your side. <laughs> Say that it. might be. That might be. <laughs> says something about uh, says something about your guys' athletic program. I think and what you guys got going over there too, which obviously is a is a credit to you um, and what you're doing because now moving. Well, you've always been full time, but now focusing solely on. Uh, athletics, correct? And as the assistant AD over there? Yep. And and I've been doing that for the past 10 years. And now I'm actually going to try to actually do it really well. <laughs> the last 10 years as a coach, sometimes from November 1 until whenever the season's been over, I probably haven't been as in tune and locked in as and available to our coaches as I need to be. So that's been really nice so far to kind of take the hoops off the plate and be able to serve our coaches better than maybe I have in the past. 
Um, so yeah, I am, I am looking forward to that. It's a different type of coaching. You're helping your coaches and uh, helping their program. So it's, it's been, it's been a great fall this year. Um, and the last 10 years doing that, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. And we talk about it all the time, actually coach that, you know, as a head coach in high school, um, you're not just a head coach, you know, you're, you're the scheduler. You're, you obviously have to run practice, have to make practices before practice and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, probably a, a good weight, maybe lift off your shoulders to maybe excel in, in that role. Um, however, let's maybe turn back the hands here a little bit. Um, about you background, where'd you grow up? Um, and we like to ask the question, you know, how did athletics kind of play into your growth, um, as a child? Well, I grew up in Dubuque, um, Dubuque, Iowa, which is about three hours east of, of West Des Moines. Um, went to high school at Dubuque Wallert and played basketball and football there and had an awesome experience playing for two great varsity coaches and Mike Cooper in football and Craig Wordinger in basketball. And they really kind of shaped, started to shape me as, as a person and kind of gave me some direction, even though they didn't know it in, in regards to what I wanted to get into long term. Um, but in terms of sports, sports have been a part of my life uh, since I was old enough to understand what they were. Um, actually, the first sport I ever played was golf. My dad was a big golfer, and I got into that. I, didn't, I never played baseball growing up. Uh, I didn't start playing basketball until seventh or eighth grade. I actually played hockey until about seventh or eighth grade. Um, did play some football and then got into high school and really started to focus on the football and the basketball. But you know, I, we have three kids of our own and, you know, they were outside tonight playing and they're playing home run derby and they're riding their scooters and they're throwing rocks. And, and I, it takes me back to when, and I'm sure you guys did it too, but being in the neighborhood and having six or seven buddies and of all different ages, and it just depended on the day, what you were going to do. Maybe it was capture the flag. Maybe it was basketball. Maybe it was football. Maybe it was home run derby. Um, and I, I miss that innocence of it because the older you get, um, the more competitive and, and the more kind of yuckiness that starts to surround sports some. Um, but it's, it's fun to see that. And I certainly had that as, as a young kid growing up in our neighborhood and taught you how to compete, taught you how to work with others. And, and that was really, really valuable. Um, so I, it's, it's funny now to be a parent and to look back and reflect on that and kind of be envious of the kids and just the, the innocent stages they are in their lives. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, well, a couple of questions here. So hockey, number one, what were you thinking? And number two, uh, what um, when that transition happened from hockey to basketball, uh, how did that happen? Um, and what was that like? Um, well, my cousin, I'm 42 and I have a cousin that's now 50. And when he was, you know, 14, I was six and very influenceable and he was over at our house a lot he played hockey and got me into it and and I loved it um it was fantastic until I saw some kid get both shoulders separated <laughs> okay I'm not sure I want to do this anymore <laughs> what, what else can I do and that's a true story we were playing in a game it was a Saturday morning and we played in a league where there was no checking and the other team I don't know that he did it intentionally, but one of our kids ended up in the boards and he literally dislocated both of his shoulders. Oh. And at that point on, I, I think I finished that season out. And then I was like, yeah, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. <laughs> and, and then I had always, like we all did, I played basketball in, in the driveway and in the boys club, but nothing was real serious. And 
you know, back 25 years ago, there wasn't a lot of AAU teams. Martin brothers had a team and that was kind of the big team. And if you weren't on that, you weren't playing. So just kind of played recreationally. And, and I don't know what it was probably eighth grade had a really good experience in junior high basketball and had some success. And like most 13 and 14 and 15 year olds, when you have some success, you kind of stick with something and mm-hmm. um, just kind of continue to, with it from there and was fortunate enough to be around coaches that challenged me and you know saw something in me and that really encouraged me to want to stick with it uh, through high school and through college yeah at those ages I mean coaches are you know they're obviously um, important all the way through your athletic um, you know athletics in general but at that age you know so influenceable as a as a young kid so um, you know those coaches are our influences that, that, I mean, you'll push you along. And like you said, you know, notice something to you that, uh, you know, obviously gave you a good experience. So you kind of continued there. So, so eighth grade, you mentioned high school, you kind of, um, I guess maybe gravitated towards basketball, um, and football as well. Mm -hmm. Yep. Played football too. And I want to touch on something you just said. I, I know that high school sports coaches are important. I know that college coaches are important, but truthfully, I think, the job that coaches of 12, 13, 14 year olds have is just as important because they are really shaping what those athletes are with their foundation of their talent and really what, what, what is expected of them when they step on the court or the field every time, every time they come to practice, every time they play a game. And when they get to varsity year in high school, if we're trying to change something that they didn't have when they were nine, 10, 11, 12, that cat's out of the bag and we're not getting it back in. So those coaches are really, really important. And I, I think they lose sight sometimes and lose track of just how important they really are. Yeah. I mean, we talk about it all the time and we can talk about this later too with, with, I mean, your coaching career, but you know, how important is, um, you know, a youth program in, in, I mean, specifically, you know, high school basketball, uh, in that, um, in that realm or for a high school basketball coach. But, you know, I think you're exactly right. I mean, I, I coach my sons, you know, kindergarten, first grade teams. Um, and honestly, uh, I was a little bit worried about it when I first started. I mean, but, but I mean, seeing those kids, uh, seeing those kids progress and really become a better, you know, better basketball player is, you know, super rewarding. Um, and, you know, just kind of helping that, helping that path, I think is very important as you, as you mentioned. And you see such a, with kids that age and I coach our 12 year old and help out with a little bit with our 10 year old, you see growth so much quicker and, and, and more often because they're kind of a, a blank page when they get to you and, and everything you teach them is new and all of a sudden the light bulb goes on. It's, it's really, really fun. It's really, really rewarding. Yeah, I completely agree. Completely agree. That's like one of, the, one of those things I always say, you know, we, we always push to try to get these kids going and skill specific so early. But, you know, as a, as a former coach myself, I always say, t- tell, teach those kids how to start, stop and change directions. Mm-hmm. And we'll we'll take care of the rest later yeah. on down the road. Like we yeah. don't need them bombing threes. We don't start, stop, change directions. We can teach them stuff. Like you said, in that in that range, that 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 is where you're going to hone those skills. And then it's just, it's fine tuned when it wants to get to your level at the high school. And so, yeah, it's, I feel like we, we push the wrong things too early. And when I, you, you have two hours in the gym a week, and if you're spending, you know, 30 minutes of that working on inbounds plays, you, you got the wrong, the wrong <laughs> thing in mind. <laughs> yeah. And it's so true because so many kids don't know how to start and stop. 
and they don't have proper shooting form and they don't know how to finish or use their weak hand. And when they try out for basketball as a freshman, sophomore, junior, man, it might be too late. Um, and that, that age range that we're talking about is so, so important for their development as basketball players. Well, I think we could, uh, you know, we could probably make a whole nother podcast on that. Cause I got a couple of rants I could go on about that as well. But, um, uh, as you kind of mentioned, getting into high school, you know, basketball, football, what, uh, if we're talking about basketball specifically, what kind of player were you coach? Were you, uh, were you a three and D guy? Were you a high flyer up there? Um, well, to be honest with you, as a junior, I was a role player and I was pretty average. Um, I played hard. I, I couldn't really shoot it that well, but I played hard. I could handle it okay. And, and I could, I could guard. I was the sixth man on a really good team. We had a great group of seniors that probably taught me as much as, as any coaching staff has taught me with how to carry yourselves, how to compete, um, that was uh, that that was a ter- real turning point for me as an athlete was playing with that group of kids and they'll probably will never listen to this but the matt walkers of the world and the keith francis's and jason meyer and ben conan's those guys impacted not only me but i know a lot of other kids in my grade as juniors and just how to compete and how to how to bring it every single day um as a senior i was much better i actually spent a lot of time in between my junior and senior year changing my shot i shot two-handed and I had a coach that took time and said, hey, I can help you with that if you want it. And I said, okay. And I spent all summer working on it and was able to really develop a shot that was pretty technically sound. And, and through that work, gained a lot of confidence shooting. So my senior year, I became a much more well-rounded offensive player. I wasn't great by any means. I wasn't averaging 15, 16 points a game, but I was probably close to 10 or 12, but I was able to, to shoot it. I, I was no longer a liability um, and continued playing the point guard and, and defending, but added the ability to score a little bit more to my game. And then that from there, I kind of grew and kind of another step in confidence of, okay, Hey, if I put some time in, I can pr- be pretty good at this. It was a great lesson of it's never too late to learn. It's never too late to improve and really tore my shot down that summer and, and got better at it, put a ton of time in. And I can remember him telling me, you have to spend six hours a week working on this. And I don't know if I ever got, ever got to six hours every week, but it was pretty darn close where I was in the gym shooting and he had me believing it. I, I don't know if it was actually true at the time. I, I do believe it was true now that if you, uh, there's a, a saying out there that uh, you're, you're, memory your mental memory you got to do something so often and he had me believing that i just thought if i do this i'm going to get better and it worked out and i don't know if he was just blowing smoke um but it worked and i believed it and that was a that was a huge thing for me it was a great lesson not only as a basketball player but just in life in general that if you work at something and and you really commit to it you you can really grow yeah you know i've always i guess i always tell people and you know i kind of have the mindset too you guys spend you guys spend around ten thousand hours at something that become or 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 be close to expert level so yeah you put the work in it's going to pay off um yeah hey i want to go back to something real quick you know we talked to or excuse me we talk a lot about coaches and how they impact we've talked about them on this on this on this episode um you mentioned you mentioned senior class that you looked up to those guys Mm -hmm. um you already kind of mentioned it uh how important do you think it is to have you know not necessarily just role models that are adults but you know i mean role models that are 
older than you, one or two years older than you, who, who, as you said, carry themselves um, up to a standard. And then, you know, you obviously follow along in that. I think it's priceless. I think kids listening to adults is important, but I don't think it is nearly as impactful as it is hearing it or seeing it from someone they look up to that's their age or slightly older. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing. And, and we've all gone through this. Your boss can say something to you, but your head coach can say something to you. But if your teammate says something to you, that usually stings a little bit more. If your teammate calls you out or challenges you or pats you on the back, that, that means a lot and it holds a lot of weight. And, um, you know, you guys have heard this before too, that player led teams are better than coach led teams. And I think that's absolutely 100% true. Because I think during the course of a basketball season, the seasons are so long that most head coaches become white noise to their players by the end of the year. And when that rolls around, they really fall back to what's the message amongst the team, amongst the leaders. And then what, what was the message that they received and, and learned and, and bought into early in the year that maybe now they're like, okay, I've, I've heard enough from him. We, need, we know what we're doing. He needs to quit harping on us for all these different things. That's where I think that internal leadership of your players or the older kids is really, really important. Yeah, you know, a lot to learn there. A lot to learn there for young kids out there who are uh... – either coming into that stage or, or, you know, looking up to those, those, those older athletes in, in high school or whatever it might be. But, um, well, obviously, obviously spend some time as a coach. Um, you know, that's why you're on here, but, uh, when did, when did the coaching bug hit you? Um, was it in high school? Was it in college? Was it just, you know, something that kind of just popped in and, Hey, maybe I'll give this coaching thing a shot. That's a great question. I, I really mean it. My high school football coach, Mike Cooper and, my high school basketball coach, Craig Wordinger, were incredible people and were great role models. And I didn't know it at the time. I, I think I maybe did subconsciously that maybe coaching was something I wanted to do, but I hadn't fully committed to that's what I want to do. It was probably my junior, excuse me, my sophomore, junior year of, of college that I started to have an idea of that's what I wanted to do. And number one, I love sports. Number two, I love to compete. Uh, I wanted to continue to be around sports and and really as important of a reason as anything is those two coaches, coach Cooper and coach Wordinger had such an impact on me that I wanted to try and have the same impact on kids that they had on me because I know what they did for me and how they helped me grow, not just as an athlete, but as a person. And um, I wanted to have the opportunity to have the same chances to do that for, for young people. Was it always basketball or was it just coaching in general? Um, it was always basketball. I, I don't know if, this is my opinion. I certainly don't know if this is right, but I, I think it really helps to play the sport that you coach um, just because you have a greater understanding of what the guys are going through when there's, when there's someone struggling with their shot, we know what that's like. Cause we've all been there before at some point when, when you've lost a couple in a row, you, you know what that's like because you've been there before. And the same thing goes when you won a couple, how do you handle that? And I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to do something that I didn't know. There's already enough basketball. I didn't know. I didn't want to go and do something. I, I completely didn't know. Football is a confusing game. Yeah, it's, I mean, there's, it's, so many it's guys confusing. out of the field yeah. at the same time. There, there's a lot and there's a difference. And I mean, to that point, obviously coaching, I a hundred percent agree with you and, and, you know, stick with what you know best and grow from there. But, uh, from an athlete side of things, and, and we'll get obviously down the road here with the Dowling um, football program, but 
how important is it? You mentioned it a little bit with your boys, but to be a multiple sport athlete, um, how, how, how big do you think that is for these kids? Um, especially in today's world of, um, you know, especially in our area here where specialization is such a huge thing. Um, what's, what's your take on multiple sport athletes and, and, and how do you feel about it? I am a huge believer in multi-sport athletes and I'm, I like to believe that I'm not someone that just says that because it sounds good, but I, I think we live that and we, we did live that in the last 15 years in our program. Um, I think back to my high school experience and I think about the great opportunities that I had in football and the great opportunities I had in basketball. And I would never want to pass that up just to go focus on, on one thing. And thankfully when I was growing up, we didn't have all these, these clubs like these kids do now where they almost feel obligated to go and play it year round. Um, and I also grew up in a town that was relatively small where we had to play all the sports. If we didn't, we wouldn't have had enough guys. Um, so I'm a big, big believer in that. And I'm, I'm lucky that I'm at Dowling because I think we are one of the few 4A schools that still believes in that. Um, and, and you can see that when you look at our rosters with how many football kids are on the basketball team and there was a stretch thank you there was a stretch where or probably up until about two years ago we always had the best baseball player or the two best baseball players on our basketball team and I loved it and we usually had probably three or four of the top six or eight football players on the team and that was awesome don't get me wrong there were some summer contests that we would go to and not have all our guys because they were playing baseball or a football workout or a football camp that's that that was difficult at times and it was difficult at the start of the year when the football teams won in seven state championships in a row and you you don't get all your guys until the second week of practice and you have four or five days to prepare for your first game but what it did is it brought a success breeds success and, and those kids were used to winning and that carried over to our program in basketball and late in the year when other teams were plateauing we usually felt like we were ascending um, so it, we, we really benefited from it. There were some struggles, there's struggles with anything, but it, we, we really, really benefited from that. But I, we will tell my wife and I have always believed that our kids can play as many sports as they want for as long as they want. Uh, the one thing I always tell them is, you know, sports like baseball and basketball, they take a ton of skill and you got to get in the cage and you got to hit, you got to get in the gym and you got to shoot. Those are skill fine motor uh, skills that you have to spend some time on. And if you want to do all three or you just want to do two, you've got to sacrifice some things. So one of those things you're going to sacrifice is probably some social time to to get in the cage or get in the gym. But yes, we're big, we're big advocates of it. Um, Always will be. I think that's what high school sports should be about. And and truthfully, I, I feel like that's changing a little bit. And that, that really makes me sad. Let me ask you this coach. Um, Obviously, we talked to a lot of coaches on this podcast, and I feel like the vast majority of those coaches say that, yes, a multi-sport athlete is what I want on my team. Um, why do you think we have all the specialization? Do you think it's the high school coaches pushing that, or do you think it's more so, you know, those coaches that 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 these kids have during the summer pushing that and saying you need to do this um, in order, I mean, obviously to get noticed? I think it's a combination. I think you have more opportunities in the club world. And, you know, those kids are paying really good money. And I I think 
when you're paying really good money, you're not getting a prorated deal. If you're only playing in half the tournaments, they're not going to say those clubs. I mean, they have to, they have mouths to feed too. They have jobs to do. They got to keep their doors open and their lights on. So I, I understand it. Um, but I, I think it's a combination of kids feeling, Hey, we're paying all this money. I'm, I'm maybe not as good at baseball. I need to go put my money, my time into basketball. Um, and then also guys, and, and this may offend some people, I think there are high school coaches out there that say they're in favor of multi-sports, but they really don't mean it. And I think when push comes to shove, when, when you get in the summer and your baseball player says, coach, I can't be there for workouts and I can't play this weekend because of baseball, that can't be held against them. And I, I truly believe we never held that against the kid. We always told the kids, go play baseball. We'll, we'll, we'll get you in the fall. Don't worry about it. You, that's your number one priority right now. And, and, we were forced into that some because we didn't a lot of our multi-sport kids, their favorite sport was baseball or football. And I knew as a coach, if we treat it any different way, we won't get them and we need them. So we had to say, go do that. We had to be supportive. But again, it goes back to, that's what I believe individually. I believe high school sports, you should have the opportunity to play all of them. And I'm not going to get in the way in that, but back to your original question, I think it's a combination of both. I think, the, the amount of opportunities they have with showcases in baseball and the, the growing seven on seven in football and, and all the basketball opportunities. And then you have some coaches that aren't, aren't really practicing what they preach. I, I think it's, I think there's a, a, a lot of guilt to, to pass around there. I think the third one is then sometimes the parents as well. Yeah. And, you know, and they're either pushing them one way or yeah. another or, you know, focusing on one thing or whatever it is. And then, you know, full circle to your point is just the level of commitment. And, you know, you commit to a club team that is basically playing 11 months of the year. It's like, well, geez, what, what do we have time to, you know, and yeah. so it's tough. I, we, we are all in the same boat in the fact that we would love to see these kids be able to go out and um, compete and struggle and succeed and do all the fun things that we had the opportunity to do growing up. But um, okay. So coming full circle here with coaching. Um, so wh where'd you get your start? What was, what was the first coaching job that, uh, that you landed? Well, after I got done, after I graduated from college, um, I actually went back and coached a year of freshman basketball at Waller um, under the guy that I played for, Coach Wordinger. And that was my first opportunity, A, to coach and B, to be a, a head coach. Now, granted, it was only freshman, but it was a great learning experience for me. And you, you realize very quickly that you're not as smart as you think. You don't have all the answers. And no matter how good you think you are, you're probably going to lose at some point. And the sooner that you lose, the sooner that you learn that, that losing is a part of it and, and how to handle it, um, things become, I don't necessarily say they become easier, uh, but they become more manageable. Um, and then after that, I, I didn't know what I was doing, to be honest. I was looking for teaching jobs. Um, I had applied for the job at Dowling in, I want to say, April. And Bob and Sharon Hansen had just retired and I knew they were trying to hire a girls basketball coach. And I knew I wasn't going to get hired for that job. And I didn't want that job. I didn't want to go and, and do that because I wasn't ready to coach girls. <laughs> That's, and I'm, that was a great decision. We have a little girl now and I'm learning just how different they are and, and how you have to work with them differently than you do boys. And I, I, I wasn't ready for that. I knew it then, but it's been confirmed now with the, with a daughter of my own. Um, but I, I, I didn't hear anything back. I was actually going to go to grad school at Illinois state 
and be a graduate assistant at Illinois Wesleyan. And I came home from work one day. I want to say it was mid-July. And there was a phone call, phone message from John Hayes, the old Dowling AD. And he said, Michael Connors is John Hayes from Dowling. Wondering if you'd be interested in coming down for the and interviewing for the PE position. I want to say that was July 18th. And I think I was down there the 20th interviewing. And then I think 10 days later, I was moving. So, and at the time, guys, I, I would have told you I'll be here for a year. You know, I was 21, 22 and had a bunch of answers and knew I was going someplace. And I didn't know where I was going to go but I wasn't going to be a Dowling very long. And here we are 20 years later and I'm still there and in, in a much different role than I was when I started. So it's, it's been really, really crazy. But since, since I moved to Des Moines, I spent the first two years as a sophomore assistant coach uh, with Jim Nahas. And Jim is actually was one of our assistants the past seven or eight years. And I've got a great relationship with Jim and he's a great guy and learned a lot from him. Uh, also spent some time at the varsity with, with Joe Kadich and, and that was a good experience as well. Um, after two years at Dowling, I ended up going to Simpson, spending two years there with with Bruce Wilson, and he really challenged me to think in some different ways. And, and he was what he was really good at was organizing a practice and keeping thirty plus guys busy in, in a small space with six hoops. It was it was remarkable, and that's one thing I've always tried to do in anything we did at Dowling is keep everybody busy. We don't want guys standing around and watching the more they're standing around and watching that really sours their experience the more we can keep them active the more they feel a part of things the better off we are um, and after that two years with coach wilson at simpson was lucky enough to get the head job at dowling and um, did that the last 15 years and now i'm officially moved on to just sixth grade boys basketball yeah, love it what so what years were you at simpson then oh man I knew you'd ask this. Um, Sorry, I'm, I was like, I'm oh. absolutely terrible with so, with years. Um, I want to say it was 2004 to 2006. Okay, okay, that's what I was, I was trying to think because so I was at Warburg then from um, 03 to 07. Okay, and so I was just trying to I was trying to I'm like oh man, I'm trying to connect the dots as far as who was there and um, yeah, we were probably uh, there at the same time. Yeah. Yep. No, that makes sense. So, well, good. Um, so then getting the Dowling position, um, first day, first day on the job, you have a little experience with the school. So, you know, it's, you feel a little bit comfortable on that side, but, um, getting that program, what was, what was the first task? What was your first job? What mission did you want to put into play? Oh, I tell you what, um, I was completely overwhelmed as much as, I prepared for it. And as much as I wanted that opportunity, as soon as it happened, it was like, holy, and I'm not going to swear on your podcast, but it was like, okay, what did I, what did I just get myself into? Nope. And I was 27 and young and didn't have, I mean, I, I had some people that I was close to in the coaching profession, but not like I do now. And at 27, a lot of older coaches like, I don't want to help this guy. I mean, he already acts like he has all the answers. So I, I was swimming. The first thing I did, I, I can't even remember. Um, I know I got the job late and, and I remember very early it was, okay, we've got to get summer camps organized. We've got to get a summer camp plan organized. We've got to figure out a plan to get in the weight room. And then from there, um, the cycle just started and, and we would, whatever we started that year, we just kind of continued with and tweaked as we went and, and, and made a lot of adaptations over the years. But I, I, that's a great question. I can't remember the first thing I did. Um, 
but I can tell you whatever it is I did, I it probably wasn't something I was prepared for because the, the amount of emails and calls you get about, Hey coach, what are you going to do this summer? Or when's, when's summer camp? You just, you're never prepared for that as, as much as you think you're going to be. Yeah, no, I, I agree. We mentioned it earlier, <laughs> obviously as head coach, you're, you wear all the hats. And so you are a lot of times the last thing on your mind is actually putting the orange ball in a round hole because you have to worry about order forms and camp. Yeah staff and all that stuff but obviously with your position now uh, with the ad you uh you can relate to those young coaches when they're coming in and you you know a little bit of of what's going on but um and so let's go let's go full circle then back to a little bit about the youth program when when did your guys when did you start the feeder program was that in place um when you got here or was that something that you started to establish and then ultimately obviously how important is that to your program um we started it my second year um, prior to me getting there. They had something in place called Mac and that's Maroon athletic club. Um, and they had a really big expansive program in place. I mean, they were going down all the way to like third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. I mean, it was crazy. Um, but there was some, the bigger, the bigger youth program you have, the more that's involved with it. And, and I think in those last couple of years, there was, basically people just a part of the club that they were just wearing the jersey there wasn't really much club to be a part of they were just wearing a maroon jersey and saying they were a part of mac and when we took over i was very fortunate to have a couple of parents steve devenny being one of them and, and sean mcmurray being another one that kind of came and, and matt kern as well that said hey we're, we're willing to help you with this if, if you want to get it going again and i said i do want to get it going again i just not quite sure what I want it to look like and in what direction we want to go with it. What we ultimately decided on was just doing it for seventh and eighth grade. And the reason we wanted to stick to seventh and eighth grade is we didn't want to bite off more than we can chew. I, I only had so much time and, and those guys only had so much time. And I think trying to run a really efficient, solid program for six or seven grade levels isn't, isn't great. And not to mention our district doesn't have a ton of usable gym space. Uh, outside of our school we just felt like that was the best um, route to go and and that's what we did up until I think two or three years ago we just cut it down to eighth grade and we had had a bunch of parents involved coaching and and they did a great job but anytime you have parents involved with coaching issues always come up it doesn't matter how good the parents are it's always the perception of, of what people have and sometimes the perceptions are true and sometimes they're not true but just because a parent's there um, it it makes people feel like that perception is reality to them. So we, we tried to get non-parent coaches involved and we we're very lucky that we got a bunch of dads uh, of former players that, that helped us and really steered the program and guided the program. And um, it's really, really important. And, and back to what we were talking about early on, when we started it, we, we really talked about, hey, make it, a, make it fun for them, get them playing together, teach them the necessary fundamentals. We don't really mind what you're running. Don't run zone on defense because we're not going to run a lot of that. Don't press a lot because we're probably not going to press a lot. What you do on offense, I, I'm not really that concerned about. You know, our offense would vary from year to year slightly, but your offense kind of is dictated by your personnel. Personnel is different every year. So we weren't terribly concerned about what they ran as long as they were playing hard. They were having fun. They were playing together. They were wearing the Dowling uniform. It got them excited about Dowling basketball and it made them want to continue to play. That's, that's really what our focus 
became the last three or four years. And I felt like we were really able to get as much out of our MBA program. And that was the name that we changed it to um, just to give it kind of a, there was some connotations around Mac. We want to give it a fresh start. So we went to MBA and that was for Maroon Basketball Association. In the last four or five years of Maroon Basketball Association, um, we felt like it was very, very good. And we did some, some, some things differently. We didn't have your typical A team, B team, C team. We would keep anywhere from 25 to 30 kids in each grade. We really wanted to be inclusive versus exclusive. Um, and what we did throughout the year is depending on how many kids we had, if we had say 32 kids, we divide them into four even teams and have them go play. If we had 25 kids, we might divide them into three teams and have them go play. And then the next weekend we would switch the teams up a little bit um, and have them go play again. Now your, your, your top players may not always like that. They, they want to be with all the good, the good players, but we always used to sell them on, Hey, it doesn't matter who you're playing with. These are the guys you're going to play with when you get older. Um, and it's important that you start developing those relationships now. And we had some people, <clears throat> you know, one of the best players we ever had was Ryan Riggs and he didn't play a minute of NBA and that I really had no issue with that. If, if we felt like a, uh, a young man was going to end up at Dowling, I, we're not going to get in his way. And if he wants to go play for kingdom hoops, because he feels like that's better for him. So be it. Um, that's not a fight we were willing to fight. And we had other kids do that along the way. And as long as we felt like they were coming to Dowling, there was, there was really no concern with us, but that program is really, really important. And it's maybe important for different reasons than, than people might think. It was really just about getting them acclimated to our program, getting them excited about Dowling basketball and getting them playing together. Yeah. And, uh, admittedly, I, so I came to your, um, your coaching clinic that you did for the NBA at the beginning of the year. I, th uh, I thought that. Yeah. And so I was, I was there, God, that might've been 2010 or 11, I think is what it was. Yep. And, um, was really impressed with what you had. I think I probably actually still have your little packet, um, somewhere around here, um, that you handed out, but, uh, you might be one of the few that held on. To yeah. It. I, I still got <laughs> that somewhere. It. I liked it. Memorized. But, um, but unfortunately C coach Horner pulled me away and I ended up uh, going over and, uh, helping him out at Valley instead yeah. of, uh, sticking around. So I, I apologize. Oh, uh, that's know. all right. That's all right. No hard feelings. <laughs> When uh, he told me I could coach the likes of Turner Scott and John Reardon. Good choice. Yeah, that was that good worked choice. Out, worked out all right. But uh, no, I was I was definitely impressed and I liked what you guys had. And then and now um, on the flip side with my daughter, uh, you know, playing for Johnson, we run in um, to the girls side and I've yeah. always been impressed with the program um and you know what they've what they've been able to do um over there and just it's just a well-ran thing and it starts with your parents starts and ends with the parents i mean just I, I it does there i mean that's getting the kids there making the commitment and you know buying into everything that uh they're doing um is, is just huge for those youth programs yeah it absolutely is so and Kristen obviously does a great job as well with on on that side and so um, she's awesome i don't know if you've had her on we we have she was the first she's... one we had kristen on um i knew kristen from the nevada days and so yeah we we had her on she's great Lo love she's... love talking shop with her in the 10 year, the 20 years i've been at dowling i think in addition to myself i think we've had a total of two other ba boys basketball coaches in the building there just hasn't been very many hiring kristen seven or eight years ago um, was a godsend for me because it was almost like I got another coach because I could go down and talk shop with her and, and she yep. could do the same with me. And she's been great. We're really, really lucky to have her. 
yeah, she's a, she's a good egg. That's for sure. So, all right. So looking, looking over this career, uh, what do I got here? I have a combined record of 214 and 129 in your 15 years at, at, at the helm here at Dowling, um, five state tournaments, but I got to ask, what did, what did you learn most from the 2007, 2008 season? Is that the year we were seven and sixteen? Your only, your only losing record. <laughs> what, what is, what is um, you learned most about that year? There was, there was, and I'm, I'm trying to think if how much I should share. We had, we had, there were some things that year that, as a young coach, I probably, if I would have gone through those same things in year fifteen, I probably would have handled a lot different. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we had a young man that year that had had some behaviors outside of basketball that weren't great. That was a good player. And, and I remember we put him on a contract and basically said, we're not no more. Yep. Well, he did more and, and we followed through with it and he didn't play and he was good. I mean, he was six, five and was pretty skilled and pretty talented, but at the time I was young and I felt like, you know what? He, he has, he's shown that he doesn't want to be here. Um, we've given him chances. You, you can only give him so many and he didn't end up playing. And <clears throat> I don't know that he was worth nine wins, but he was certainly worth probably three or four more. Um, and, and looking back on that, I probably would have handled that situation a little bit differently. As I got older, I probably would have opened my arm a little bit more instead of putting the stop sign up and saying, Hey, we told you, see you later. Yep. I probably would have been a little bit more patient with that. So that was the first lesson that I learned. Um, that was just, we just, we had good kids. Um, we just weren't as talented as, as maybe we were in other years, but it wasn't for a lack of effort. It wasn't for a lack of, of character. It wasn't for a lack of leadership. We had really good kids. Um, we had three or four seniors that played, and then we had, I think we were playing two or three sophomores, and that's always really, really tough in the CIML, especially because you, you see a lot of teams that are senior-laden. Um, but I tell you what, going through seasons like that, it humbles you. Um, and, and it teaches you that you got to ask for help and you, you really find out how strong your relationships are, not only with your coaches, but with your players, um, because it is such a long season, but that I, I wouldn't as difficult as that season was, I wouldn't trade it for anything because it probably, not probably, it made me a lot better. I wish for the sake of Grant Steffen and Colton Smith and Colby Kulas, kids around the team, that I would have been better for them um, because I think me having a little bit different attitude and maybe being a little bit older and more mature, I, I, I could have helped us be a little bit more successful that year. Um, I, I don't, when I look back on it, I, I don't think about disappointment in the kids. I think about disappointment in the way I handled things and how I could have been better to serve that team better. Um, and that really helped guide me going forward. And it also helped me really appreciate winning and we take it for granted. And I think at Dowling, we take it for granted a lot because we win in, in almost everything all the time. Um, nothing's guaranteed. Nothing's guaranteed. Uh, you have to work for it and put the time in. And, and we did a lot of those things. We just came up short. That was a really good year in the CIML and we maybe just didn't stack up the way we had, had in, in years previous to that but I, I certainly probably didn't help the cause much at different times during the year 
Well, I didn't want to, I didn't want to be too hard on you, but like, like uh, you said, that's okay. I, I know that, uh, you, you learn a lot from those and, and you brought it up. I mean, it's something where, um, it's, a, it's one, it's amazing that in 15 years, you only had one losing season in a, a league as competitive as the CIML. So that's a credit to you, but yeah, it's amazing on, on the things that you take away from those seasons. Um, you know, you know, the seasons kind of run together after 15 and you, you win a lot of games and things, players come and go, but there's something about sometimes fighting through some struggles that, that you can take away with it. And um, one of those, one of those struggles that I know you're going to allude to is the fact that um, a good and a bad, a curse and a blessing is the fact that obviously your boys going to and winning seven straight um, state championships in football uh, means you get in your guys last and, and having been in and around the CIML for several years now, um, if, if Dowling's on my schedule early in the year, I'm, I'm excited. And if they're on my schedule late in the year, I'm not excited at all. What, what habits did you kind of have and form and create with your program that allowed you guys to play your best basketball at the end of the year? Well, first of all, I, I really fought it the first couple of years. It was really frustrating. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm sure through conversation with other coaches and, and our assistants and, and some individual reflection, I started, to real, I started to realize that we needed to turn this into a positive. They're winning, which means they're used to winning, which means those kids are going to come to our program and expect to win. And they're going to have that same expectation of hard work, discipline, accountability in basketball. Um, and as you get older in coaching too, you start to, and I'm probably going to get killed for saying this. <clears throat> High school sports to me wasn't always about winning. It was about how can we get better? And if we just focus on getting better every day, it's amazing how the winning starts to take care of itself. And, and probably about, oh, year two of them winning all those championships, I started really focusing on the process. And I started focusing on where do we want to be at the end of the year? We're not going to be there right away. So it probably helped me. It sucked at the time, but then as we got used to it, it was just like, Hey, we've done this before we've survived. And we were lucky that a couple of those years, we had some success late in the year. We got to a state tournament and we saw that, Hey, we can still get here, even though we don't have maybe the same amount of practice time as everybody else. We have to be a little bit more efficient. We have to be a little bit more creative. Um, but it, 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 it helped us. It was frustrating. <clears throat> Excuse me. Early on, it was really frustrating, but I, I really do feel like the, the positives far outweigh the negatives. Um, when we started to handle it differently, when we started to look at it, it, instead of a nuisance, we started to look at it. How can it help us? But you're absolutely right. Before Christmas, we always said we have to get to Christmas break and we just have to keep the ship afloat until we get to Christmas because we will be a different team after Christmas. And, and honestly, guys, people thought we well, need Christmas because you need practice. And that was true, but we needed Christmas because our kids needed a break. Those, people, people don't understand our football program. <clears throat> I'm, I'm not kidding when I say this. They might get three days off from August 15th through the state championship game. And they just needed time to rest and let their bodies heal. Um, and we always cringed. We always cringed when we saw our schedule and we'd have, you know, I remember two years ago, three years ago, we had Jack Keogh and, Art Lyman and Drew Keeter and Luke Caban and Ben Sheridan. And we were going to be young and, and really inexperienced. And we played our first game against Iowa city West and got beat by 28. And then we played Valley in the second game 
and this is God's honest truth. It's the only game that I've ever been a part of where two minutes into the game, I knew we were winning. I mean, we, we, there was no chance. We called three timeouts in the first quarter. They ran a zone and we hadn't practiced against the zone because <laughs> we only had practiced for like five days. And the little bit that we had done, <clears throat> we had kind of altered what we had done from past years. So there was no carryover. Everything was fresh. And I, I, I remember distinctly going in at halftime and the kids were all sitting down and I sat down next to one of the kids. And all I could say was, I know this sucks. We're going to get through this. We'll be okay. And we got through it that night and we ended up going to the state tournament and it was, it was awesome. And it was, it was all because of the demeanor of our seniors. They, they were mature enough to know that, okay, we can get through this. This is just a, this is one game. This doesn't define us. This doesn't uh, end our season. We just have to keep getting better from us. And um, had we not had prior experiences with that and learned from it, those first four or five years, that could have really been detrimental, but uh, we fought through. It's never good to lose your first two games by a total of 60 points. <laughs> People aren't real confident at that point. Well, it, it allows you to fly under the radar a little bit and just chip off wins. Like you said, just get better every day. <laughs> We, we were under the radar. That, that's, that's for sure. No, that's, uh, that's great. I, I always think, well, my first, my first year up in Madrid, I, we had two practices and then that was back in the Jamboree days and we went up at Jamboree and um, first time the ball went out underneath the hoop, I, I had to call timeout because we never had time to even put in any inbounds plays. So well, there, I, I can, I can, relate to that there have been years where we haven't had a side out of bounds play in until february oh yeah and and we've just now we'll have a couple special situations like late in the game but we don't like get the ball in it's just like line get it in and somebody come and get it now we would always get it in at some point but i, I can tell you there was probably at least four or five years that until mid-january we didn't have anything on the side to get the ball in yeah and you just made it made it work <laughs> made it work and it's fun yeah. and it's a great it's a great lesson that sometimes we overcomplicate it sometimes oh, yeah. if you just tell kids you gotta get the ball in they'll figure out a way to get the ball in they're smart they know what they have to do nope. no that's great um what uh <clears throat> so obviously you have a bunch of kids you have a bunch of athletes i think yeah. one of the, the best thing about multiple multi-sport athletes is that they're competitive and so how, how did you try to instill daily competitiveness in practice? Was there something that you guys, that you guys would always do to, to try to keep that competitive level high, even in practice? Well, how competitive we are in practice is directly related to how competitive our kids are. And years where we have really competitive kids, it seems like our practices are ultra competitive. And years where we don't have as competitive kids, we do the same things. They just, you know, Losing and having to run a champion or a suicide doesn't bother them like other teams uh, maybe do. I can remember we've had kids like Eric Lee who went on to play football at Notre Dame. He played three sports. I think he was all state in three. Spencer Navin played baseball at Vanderbilt and played a little bit professionally. He played three sports. And those guys were ultra competitive. And neither was the greatest basketball player, but both were really, really good. But they brought it every single day. And just having – a guy like that or two. And, and there's been a couple of years where we've had a couple of those two guys were on the same team. And they had another guy by the name of Ben Bozen that played three sports that was extremely competitive. And your competitiveness is directly related to how competitive your athletes are. Um, and in high school, sometimes you can't control that. 
I should let me rephrase that. You can't control that. You just get who you have. No, people would say that's not true. Dowling recruits all their guys. That's not true. <laughs> um, but I think it's directly related to how competitive your guys are. I'm not going to tell you that we have anything magical to make our practices competitive. We do try to do that by making everything cutthroat is what we call it. If you lose, you run. And what that consequence is can vary from day to day, depending on the mood of the coach or um, where we are in the season. Um, but really how bad the kids want it and how bad they get after it is, is really, it's really up to them. It's, it's hard to teach that. And again, going kind of back to what you said at 11, 12, 13, you know, developing yep. a love for the game and stuff, those things that you can't really teach, but you're kind of teaching. That's where, that's where it happens. Yeah. And that's where everything starts to build. And, um, you know, talking with you guys and, and your continued growth throughout the season, um, basketball is a long season. Um, like you said, these guys are coming off football. They're not a hundred percent. We have a couple holidays in there. You have cold weather here in Iowa. How do you get buy-in from these guys? Obviously you guys playing your best basketball in February, March. Um, what, what was it that you did to, to, to bond those relationships within your program to make it to where you knew that you could count on each other and your guys come, you know, late February? You know, uh, truthfully early on, my first four or five years, I probably wasn't very good at that. I probably rode the kids too hard, you know, to our practices all the time. Um, as I got older, and honestly, as we started to have our own kids, and, and as I started to learn more about, you know, really who I am and what kids need and what, what really they respond to um, now versus maybe what I responded to, we made some adjustments, you know, we, we shortened our practices and we try to do some team activities where we really, we really focused on growing together as, as a team and, and building our chemistry and our connection, because when kids enjoy being around one another, coming to practice is a lot more fun and whatever we could do to foster those relationships, whether it's through team meals. And that's just a tradition at Dowling. We did not start that that's been going on for years um, I would tell you if you interviewed any of our kids, they'd probably tell you what was the best part about basketball. They'd tell you the team meals and and it's, they have a lot of fun. It's just a team. They eat, they hang out in the basement and they give each other a hard time. And, and you get to know a lot about one another and those sorts of things. And we did, we did some service projects. We'd have a Christmas party over at my house where we exchanged gifts and we'd go to a Drake game occasionally. One year we went to the Kansas Iowa State game. Just whatever you can do to get around your guys away from the gym, I think is really, really valuable in, in, in building those relationships and making it a fun experience. Um, I think that goes a long way in, in making the season not seem so long. You know, the other thing that we got a lot better at the last few years is you don't have to practice for two hours all the time. You can go for an hour. You can go for an hour. You can just come in and shoot. And I I was not good at that when I was young. We got a lot better at that at the behest of the players and, and, and assistants. And, um, you know, sometimes less is more. And, and you, I think this is a situation where that uh, really, really holds true. And you want your guys fresh at the end of the year. And if you're practicing, you can't leave their game legs on the practice floor. Um, and if they can't play hard on Tuesdays and Fridays, you have to examine everything. And sometimes it might be because they're giving you everything on Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, we can, uh, we can thank the NBA for that term <laughs> load management, right? It comes <laughs> yeah. down to load yeah. management and how, how do we get these? And it's just, like you said, it's just an understanding uh, of knowing, you know, what these kids can handle. And, and just, like you said, just through experience, because 
it's hard um, when you're you, you're when you first start and you want to be like, hey, this is how we're gonna do it, and you guys are gonna you're gonna suck it up and yada yada yada. But I think as the further you go down the road as a coach, you start to learn that uh, um, most of the times you're the one that's got to develop and yeah. change and adjust to your personnel and to your kids and. And a big part of that comes through, you know, the relationships and understanding the kids. And so how big was that for you to kind of to, to get past that hump and, and, and understand that, hey, you know, here, I, I'm the one that's got to make the adjustments and, and I'm the one that's got to fit uh, this this square peg into a round hole, essentially. Um, it was a hard it was hard to get there because I didn't know what I didn't know. Once I got to that point, it was pretty easy. Um, to go and ask advice of what other people do, but to, to see that you might be part of the problem, it, that's, that's tough. Actually changing wasn't tough because once you realize that you're part of the problem or you need to grow, it's pretty easy to say, okay, I got to figure something out or I'm not going to be around very long. Um, and, and I, it's changed so much. I, I feel like when you first start coaching, you coach how you were coached or what you're familiar with in and my high school coach, Coach Wordinger, I mean, he, he yelled at us. He challenged us all the time. That's what I knew. I was used to that. Um, our high school football coach, he wasn't quite to that same – he wasn't a yeller, but he was very direct, and that's what I knew. And, and my college coach was kind of somewhere in between that. And, and relationships and experience didn't really start becoming a thing probably until about, well, 15 years ago when I started. And, and I was stubborn, and I felt like, well, that, I don't have to do that. I, I'll build relationships through being hard on them. Well, you learn pretty quickly that you don't, you don't do that. You got to talk to them. You got to get to know them. But we all grew up. I mean, you guys both played. How well, how, what was your relationship with your high school coach? Probably not great. I mean, he was a coach. He, you did whatever he told you to do. Yep. Um, it, it's, it's just changed a little bit. But once, once I learned that, it was, it was pretty simple. Uh, we started to do some things. And honestly, the other area we really grew and when I say we it was me is involving the parents the first four or five years there's a big stop sign I don't want to talk this is our program don't bother me and then I realized that I probably can't do that I need their support you have to one thing I've always told myself you got to build your army and even if it's one mom one dad at a time you got to build your army you got to build that support one so that when things do go bad there's an army of people out there that will come to your aid and say hey he's going to be okay trust him he's got the best interest of your kid in mind um and we started to involve parents more and, and and tom wilson he was telling me this well before i figured it out he's like you got to involve them you got to involve them and i kept telling him no 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 you don't and finally it was like yeah yeah i do um, and since we started doing that, we, we've had very few parental issues. Don't, don't get me wrong. We still had them, oh, yeah. but not as many. And, and the one thing we changed is we communicated better. We, we tried to make them feel a part of it. We always talked to them about this isn't just an experience for your sons. It's an experience for you, too. And we want you to enjoy it. And, and that means we have to have a relationship. We have to have open lines of communication. And <clears throat> we went from saying, I don't want to talk to I'll talk about anything call me, but you have to be prepared for honesty. You might hear something you don't want to, you don't want to hear, but I'll, I'll talk about anything. And it's amazing. Even if, and I'm no different, you know, sometimes you want to ask a question, but you don't ask it because you, you already know the answer that I think when you throw it out to people that, yeah, I'll talk to you. I think it almost, well, I could call 
but I think I know the answer. So I'm not going to do that. And more times than not, your, your gut instinct is right. You do know the answer. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's, it's huge. Cause obviously those kids go, what they go home to and what they're hearing at home um, is what they're going to bring with them to the court, you know, the next day. And so if those kids go home and you know, 15, 16, your old boys are going to go home and they're going to complain about stuff. And if, if the parent has your best interest and the team's best interest in mind, it makes uh, it make things a lot easier as opposed to letting them sit there and fuel the fire and come back all raged the next day. And so, um, yeah, the parents obviously play a, a huge role in a lot of ways with, with any successful program. Um, how, how, how big um, was his former <laughs> guest, Kevin O'Hare in your program, did, uh, did he have uh, anything to do uh, with any success? What, uh, what, what can, anything good that you can tell us about Kevin that we don't already know? <laughs> that he hasn't told you already? Yeah, that he hasn't told uh, us already or? He's, he's been an integral part of, of what we've done um, as have uh, many of the other coaches we have, um, Coach Wags and, and Coach Nahas and, and Hank and David the last couple of years, and, and really all the guys, BK, that we've had, Mike Pipo, um, that we've had help us out, Todd Heatherton, Chad Dreckman. Um, but Kevin, you know, he gets those kids first, <clears throat> and he has a passion for dialing basketball, um, and he definitely gets the kids excited about basketball. He definitely gets them to play hard and, and understanding what competing is, and that's, that's really, really valuable as as they get older that they learn those things in ninth grade and he did a great job of that yeah and you just touched on it but how important is a staff for you like like we've said <laughs> three times on the pod but you're you're doing so much you you have so many involvements from from media to scheduling to everything that sometimes the basketball gets lost and you need to have those guys to lean on um how important is that assistant role and, and what would you tell a, a new head coach coming in as far as when they go to start hiring staff, um, things to look for? Um, well, the, the first thing I tell them is your, your staff is always going to be a work in progress. It's never going to be perfect that first year. Because um, really, when you first get a job, there's so much going on that you kind of sacrifice the staff and you're just, you kind of say, okay, who can help? Because you usually get a job. April, May, June, and you're just thinking, okay, I got summer camp coming up. We got workouts coming up. I just need somebody to be here to help me with that. Um, and sometimes those hires work out great, and sometimes maybe they're, they're not as good. Um, we always wanted to have, ideally, uh, coaches who are teachers too, because I, I really feel like the best coaches I've been around are also great teachers. They just have a way of simplifying things, whether it's a drill whether it's the terminology they use, whether how it's they talk to their kids. We always wanted to have some sort of teaching background. That's very difficult in this day and age because not a lot of people are going into teaching anymore. And, and there's certainly not many um, teacher coach combos anymore. There's a lot more out of the building coaches. Um, but having a staff is, is vital. We finally got to a point. We've always had good coaches, but we really got to a point our last couple years where I felt really, really stable with everything. And I felt like we had a situation where we were going to have some, some cohesiveness on the staff for many, many years. We had been there for two or three years together. And I felt like had I stayed, we probably would have been able to do that for another four or five. Cause I had a group of guys that got along really well together, um, had the same beliefs. Um, and for the most part, we're on the same page. And we're, we're willing to get on the same page as one another. There's always a couple guys that you got to bring along and, and, and try to help out. Um, I probably am over the top with wanting everybody to be on the same page. I wanted to go to ninth grade games and the 10th grade games and see 
the same things being run there that we're running at the varsity. Um, <clears throat> at least the same terminologies, the same defenses. You know, offense can vary some simply because your personnel may dictate it to change. But I, I, I wanted, I wanted uh, cohesiveness, and I, I wanted people to watch our freshmen and then watch our our games and say, "Man, they're doing the same stuff." Um, and I think that helps kids transition in your program. And I think it helps when you have to move kids up during the course of a year, if it happens, they, they feel pretty comfortable. So I was, that, that really always meant a lot to me. And and really, I always took it personal. I took it as if I've got to be able to get the staff on the same page. If I can't do that, how am I going to get the team on the same page? And it's it's a battle. It, It really is a battle. You know, some guys, some guys are really good at wanting to learn. Some guys are really comfortable with, Hey, this is what I do. And this is what I want to stick with. And, you know, it goes back to kind of like the multi-sport guys. Some people talk a good game with wanting to be a multi-sport coach, but they don't back it up. Some coaches talk about, yeah, I want to get better. I want to learn, but they don't really want to. They they're very happy with what, what they're currently doing. Yeah. And I think that, you know, (laughs) you mentioned it, that it's, 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 essentially especially in high school just always a work in progress you know you mm-hmm. you kind of flip through those coaches as um you know as, as you do from year to year find find some really good ones but then you know there's other other jobs calling out there too and so you yeah. know it, it's kind of embracing that i feel like is is something that a head coach especially needs to do um i guess obviously sooner than later yeah um the landscape is always changing and it's not as lucrative and it's not as attractive to coach high school basketball as it once was, you know, when we all grew up, the head coach was like a, a celebrity around town. Now I don't think that's the case. I, I think these kids are coached by so many different people that I, I don't know that they always appreciate the value of, of coaches. Like maybe the three of us did when, when we were growing up in our respective schools. Um, but having, having loyalty on your staff and, and having guys, number one, you got to have guys that you can enjoy being around and you got to have guys that you can laugh with and, and you can laugh at yourself around. And I, I think that makes it, I, I tell you what, I, our last couple of years and one of the assistants and I've got to give him a shout out was Nick Wagner. And he was the only year that he wasn't with us was the, was that second year when we weren't very good. Every other year Wags was with us and, um, he was a, actually, you know what, back to the question you asked earlier, what was the first thing I did? I think the first thing I did was call Wags and go. I said, do you want to, and he, and he came from Chicago and he's been with me every step of the way. And, and there's been some great moments, um, the six state tournaments and, and some big wins. And there's been some down, there's been some dark too. Um, but he's been around through all of it. He's been really, um, my foundation, he's the guy I've always been able to fall back on because he's been through the good and the bad. And, and he's, he's been there when it's been good. He's been there when it's been not so good. He's, he's been there when he's seen me down. He's been there when he's seen me up. And he's, he's always been level-headed. And, you know, maybe if I get a little bit too full of things, he can, he can take some of that away. And when I'm kind of down, he can say, hey, it's not as bad as we think. We've been here before. So I, I really wouldn't change um, – having him for anything. He's, he's been great. And when I decided to step down, the hardest person to tell outside of my sons was him. Um, uh, and th- th- if there's one or two things I'll miss, you always miss your players, but I'll miss our coaches. We had Jimmy and Wags and David and Hank the last couple of years getting you were around those guys so much. It's just, it was a lot of fun. I, I will miss those guys. 
Well, and you just, you just spend so much time with them. And like you said, just the, the wave of emotions and yeah. just the, you know, the ups and the downs and the bus rides and the locker rooms. And the, I mean, all that stuff is, uh, it's why we play the game. It's why we coach the game. It's, it's just those relationships in which that you share with people that, uh, you hold close. But so, so you mentioned that obviously the step down and you mentioned telling your sons, I assume that's the, the big reason behind it or what's, what's, yeah. the, what's the reason for going ahead and finally stepping <laughs> away after 15 great years there's there's a lot of reasons um it's not just family but that was the biggest one um i'm not always present during basketball season physically mentally emotionally um and and that got hard as they got older because i was starting to feel like when i was at their game i need to be at home watching film or i need to be in the gym and then when i was at the gym or watching film it was like i need to be there for my kids um, or when we come home at night and they want to talk and I'm watching film, planning practice for the next day and they're having a conversation with me and I'm kind of, uh-huh, yep, that's great. Hey, go to bed. That I didn't feel good about that and I started to miss a lot more this year. Um, they're starting to get a lot more active in the winters and even the summers um, with baseball and basketball that I, I just felt like I wanted to be a more engaged dad and, and also, guys, to be honest with you, I wanted to be a better husband. I, I haven't always been a great husband over 15 years because you sacrifice a lot when you're a coach. And unfortunately, the one thing that sacrificed a lot is time with your family. Um, and I, I felt like I wanted to be uh, more available to them, more present for them and, and a better husband and better father. You know, we hadn't ever taken a vacation. <clears throat> we finally got to do that this summer. And, and that's my fault. That wasn't school telling me I couldn't. But there's just not time in June. And then you get to July and, and you're kind of tired and you feel like, I don't want to go on vacation now. I just kind of want to relax here. So those are the biggest reasons. Um, I got more tired trying to balance both. I wasn't able to give basketball the time that I felt like it needed to have in order to coach at the level that we've, I come to expect. And, you know, every year you always feel like you have to do a little bit better and you feel like you have to do a little bit more. And the thought of that was very exhausting and, and I knew that was a, that was a sign for me. And, and there's other things, you know, we talked about the multi-sport thing, um, the way that that's that pendulum starting to swing that bothers me. I, I think what high school sports is supposed to be about is, is, is changing. And that may not be the, the worst thing ever, but I'm not terribly comfortable with it. I, I think it should be about being a part of the team. It should be about the relationships and the experience. Yes. You want to win, but, not everybody's going to win their last game. Not everybody's going to go to the state tournament. And, and when we're starting to lose sight of what you learn by playing high school sports, the teamwork, the adversity, the, um, you know, the, the multitude of other life lessons that you learn, I, I, I really started to struggle with that. The, the social media stuff with likes and images and, and those things, I, I haven't been able to wrap my mind around that. And I don't know that I'll be able to. And I, I think that's where the next generation is going a little bit. So it was kind of maybe get out before the posse came and got me out. <laughs> I don't yeah, think that, you know, that wasn't going to happen. No, yeah, I don't, I don't think so either. But, uh, you know, you talk about some good reasons to maybe step down from uh, the helm. Um, and I think you just gave a couple really good ones there, Coach. Um, you know, spending time with family is very important. And, I, you know, 
as we've talked about off air, I think, you know, I have a, um, I guess I have a first grader and then a three-year-old coming up too. And I, I tell my buddies all the time that I have a couple kids in, in athletics. Like, I don't know how you do it. I have a hard time following my, my first grader around. Like, how do you, how do you guys do multiple, <laughs> you know, oh. how you do multiple kids? <laughs> it is. Well, before you have a third one, call me. Cause the third one is a game changer. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> it is uh, my, my wife is extremely organized and, and she sets us on a path and we just kind of have to stay on that path. That's, that's hard with three boys. We have a little girl that usually does what her mom wants, but the three boys are kind of a little bit more independent and kind of veer off once in a while. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you always talk during March madness, you say survive in advance. Well, in the O'Connor household, the last three months have been surviving in advance. She's coaching cross country. It's funny. I got out of coaching and she got into it. She she's, in. she's helping coach, uh, cross country at Waukee. So this fall with my duties at night and her, her duties coaching and our kids playing football and our daughter doing dance class, it's been, it's been an entertaining four or five weeks, but you just, you just do it. You know, you, you start, you don't watch as much TV. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't go golf with your friends as much. You don't go out for beers as much. You you just you find that time and you put it into your family and it's all good because it, it, it is your kids. It's tiring. It's exhausting, but um, it's well worth it. It's a good tiring exhaustion. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm 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 sure Brian knows a little bit more about where you're talking about than I do. With uh, I got four. Oh, yeah. oh my God! I know what you mean. I, I, like <sighs> you said, you go from you go from man to man to zone when you get the third one, and then everyone asks about the fourth one. I'm like, you just throw them in the circus, and it just all kind of just it just all runs itself at that point. <laughs> You, you do, you do have days where it's like, how's this going to work? And at some point you just kind of throw your hands up and say, I don't know. Let's just see. Let's, let's just go. Let's <laughs> figure it out. Uh, man. Well, some, some really good stuff there, coach. We appreciate uh, all your time tonight, but we we like to end our podcast episodes with a little section we call rapid fire. Um, Brian, Brian's going to hit you with a couple questions um, about basketball. Some not about basketball. And you just tell us what comes to the top of your head. Sounds awesome. All right, here we go. First one we always lead with. Um, favorite visiting gym or arena uh, that you've coached in or get to, got to coach in? Um, the Fieldhouse to walk. He's pretty sweet. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, best pizza in the Metro? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> we love pizza. Oh, so man. We always got to. I do, too. I, I want to know what you guys think. Now, you'll probably laugh at me. I love Felix and Oscars. Okay. I love it. I'm on a big seven stone kick right now. Yep. Um, they have, I love taco pizza and they have a great taco pizza. Um, you really can't go wrong with any pizza. Um, but seven stone in, in FNOs are, are right up there. Oh man, that's a great question. Once, once you're done, I want to hear your guys. Well, we, we, taverns came up before. Taverns good. Yeah. Um, and so I'm trying to think what else has come up on it. Obviously you got the pongs and you got, yeah. um, a couple of the only, ones, only F and O's that we've, that we've heard. I think so. F and O's is great. You know what else is good is, uh, uh, wig and pen. Love yep. wig and pen. Wig, I agree yep. with that. Good um, pizza. That, and you mentioned taco in Eastern Iowa. Um, Happy uh, Joe's baby. <laughs> Happy, Joe's. Happy Joe's baby. I, I was, I, I was yeah. thinking I was leaning more OP, but well, good, that's good too. That's really good too. That's oh, really good too. But not taco pizza. The, the, the best taco pizza is Happy Joe's in Dubuque. It's not, you can't get it in Davenport. It's not the same. You can't get it here. It's not the same that 
the happy joe's in dubuque yeah it's it's the greatest it's my favorite pizza uh and that is happy happy joe's right across from fat tuesdays right yeah oh yeah i live right behind fat tuesdays there have been a few uh, few uh, hustle games going on uh, basketball on the back of Fat Tuesdays back in the day. So, so the there's a building right behind there, and there's apartments in there. And I lived there with two guys, and I moved in late, so I didn't get a room. I had to sleep in the living room, and my wall backed right up to that hoop. So every time <sighs> I, I can still hear that ball hitting the rim and the sound the rim makes in my sleep at night. Oh man, that, that would be brutal. Yeah. That, <laughs> uh, not only, not only the location to be able to walk down to fat Tuesdays, but yeah, then being like, no, I'm, I'm going to get to sleep early tonight and then listen to that all night. Yeah. I got used to it. Uh, that's great. All right. Um, who's the goat? Who's the greatest player of all time? MJ. I love it. Um, it's resounding, I think, on here. It depends yeah. on the era. We get the players on here, and they're obviously go LeBron. And, but uh, MJ, you got us on that. Favorite sports movie? Caddyshack. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, I'm a it. diehard Caddyshack fan. Caddyshack. It might wow. be my favorite movie ever. That's, that's <laughs> great. That's definitely a first for that one. It's not um, real sophisticated, definitely. but I, it's, I love it. I love it. That's uh, so any experience old Bunker Hill then uh, that was oh, one yeah. of the other things too. That's uh, yep. that's, that's a fun track. Actually, we, I used to go back, they have that two day, two day four man over the Iowa state weekend. Um, I was actually just talking to a guy that went back and played uh, in it this last weekend. And so that's always fun. Bunker, so, Bunker Hill, two days, flight it out after the yeah. first day. Like it's just a lot of fun. It's a great course. So the guy lived with behind fats, his dad was a greenskeeper at bunker hill okay and the pro that's at bunker hill now is mike sullivan and i worked for mike sullivan when i was growing up in dubuque i caddied for him all the time and so yeah i'm i i'm pretty familiar with dubuque yeah Yeah, yeah. it's got a special place in my heart that's a it's a special place too that's for sure i mean yeah it is it's a little different churches and bars yep i feel like uh the comparison we drew was iowa city and dubuque just hit a little different when uh, (laughs) they do (laughs) they do that's that's a fact so um all right coach uh would you would you rather take a uh a cubs world series or a um wolverine uh, national title Ooh. um that cubs world series was awesome man and i don't i love michigan but nothing can top that cubs world series in fact i was just scrolling through twitter from some of the commercials they played after they won and one of my sons looked at me he's like are you are you crying i'm like i'm tearing up <laughs> I just, yeah i, that, I always remember where i was i Long watched john coming. Our wrestling coach at Dowling at the time was John Garvin, and we went to a bar and we watched it. and And I can remember we both walked out after the Indians tied it, and we didn't say a word. We walked around the parking lot. We came back in. We're like, okay, hey, it, it's never been easy as a Cubs fan. I mean, we felt like coaches. We've, it's never been easy. We got to stick through this. If we win, if we win, great. If we lose, well, the sun will come up tomorrow, and that was awesome. awesome. I wouldn't change that for anything. Oh, that's good. Um, favorite basketball shoe. Um, you know, any of the, I shouldn't say any of the Jordans. Um, I love the Jordans and I should have my number, but I'm old now and I'm not hip to that stuff anymore. But the one with the black platinum leather, I love those. Yeah. Yeah. I love those. 
that's that's that's, that's a popular common. answer i yep, absolutely I, I see that see that jump man uh hoodie you got on there that's oh yeah so i, I love this i'm I i'm a jordan out, right yeah yeah I, I love the jordan and the nike stuff everybody's like hey you're gonna get under armor this year adidas no no <laughs> i like nike <laughs> give, give me give me that swoosh give me that jump man no i love it um all right last two coach we'll get you out of here um best thing about uh getting the opportunity to be and to continue to be a maroon Oh man. Well, the, the best thing is to continue to be a part of the community and what comes along with that. You know, it has a real family feel. There's, there's an expectation of greatness um, and, and how you carry yourself is as important as whether or not you win or lose. And I really, really believe in that. Um, and I, listen, I've, I've looked some other places and I've, I've had a chance or two along the way to leave. Um, and sometimes I, I look for an opportunity and it didn't work out. Um, but at the end of the day, I've always felt very comfortable at Dowling. I've always felt very supported. And I've always felt very fortunate that they gave me the opportunity that they did both 20 years ago as a no-name kid to teach PE and coach basketball. And again, five years later when they named me the head coach. So I, I'm, I'm very loyal. And I, I hope that whenever I'm done there, they, they feel half about me as, as I feel about what they gave, the opportunity they've given me. No, that's, that's great. And I, I wonder back at the Waller, Dowling, connect, it's just like a bigger Waller, right? And you guys just yeah. hire within, just who, who, what Catholic school kids can we hire and bring over here, right? That <laughs> yeah, works? that's, that's it, uh, you know what? We laugh about that, but being a part of a Catholic school, there is a little bit of a different feel. Um, and I've often wondered, I've never been in a public school before. So I sometimes wonder, I, I might be a fish out of water if I yeah. go there. I don't know if how I would do in that environment. I'm, I've asked myself a lot, maybe I'm just meant to be in Catholic schools. And if, if that's the case, I'm, I'm very, very comfortable with that. I, I hope all of our children go to Dowling. That's great. No, that's good. All right. Um, last one, we'll get you out of here. Uh, name of the podcast is Shooter's Touch because Adam and I have seen very few shots that we don't like. And so um, what does it mean? to you if somebody has the shooter's touch Ooh, um what does it mean to me to have someone have the shooter's touch honestly the first thing that comes to mind is they're a score they 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 just they have a unique ability to score um i i guess i can't put it any other way i i, I hear that and i think score and i i wish that was a trade i had more of but i was far from that <laughs> I played pickup today and I was trying not to shoot. Yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not that guy. Yep. It's, it's funny how it's changed. Yeah. I, I I'm with you on that, but it it sounds like you probably played uh, more, more defense in two years than Adam and I ever played. So, uh, well, uh, <laughs> well, that's what you do when you can't sure score, <laughs> yeah. but it's yeah. funny as you get older, if you can't score, like, I don't know what value you're bringing to the team because nobody plays defense after you get over 35 right. and, and rebounds. Nobody's jumping for it's just, I mean, you're literally letting the ball bounce every time and the closest guy goes and grabs it. So I, I don't know what value I bring anymore. As a well, it, it's vision. You got to dime some people out though, too. If you got it, got someone, you, yeah. you everyone can't shoot. You got to distribute a little. I'm in great shape. I'll say that I, I can play hard. 
from the first possession to the last possession. Hey, that's great. So, well, coach, we appreciate it. We really do. Uh, taking some time, jumping on, talking shop with us, sharing some insight. I know we learned a lot from it. I imagine our listeners will as well. Um, you know, continued success with you guys over there at Dallin. We'll be, we'll be following along and, and watching all, all part of the journey. Well, thanks, guys. I really appreciate you having me. And I, I really, really enjoyed this. And I appreciate the work you're doing for the game and, and for the support and look forward to listening to future podcasts. Yeah, as Brian said, we appreciate it, Coach. Uh, we'll have to uh, make it to a couple games this winter and maybe some FNOs before and maybe after the game. If yes, we need or to. we can go to OP, too. I'm good with that. Hey, OP's right. good. We'll We're definitely it. good with that, too. <laughs> but thanks, Coach. We appreciate your time. Have a great night. Thanks.